on his way. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way, motherfucker. The devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Fall to your knees. Devil gonna make you pay. Mountain Murders is an Appalachian true crime podcast. Listener discretion is advised. The show contains graphic language and depictions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. We say fuck a lot. Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. You folks have got to sign up for Patreon. We just dropped... Part one of a two-part series on Appalachian mobsters and organized crime. Yeah, that's because our patrons voted, and they wanted to hear about that, and we have uncovered so much stuff about those that very thing in Appalachia, in and around Appalachia. Some really cool information, probably some things you've never heard before, maybe a few things you might be familiar with, but sign up for Patreon. We just... Like, readjusted our levels and added a brand new top-tier level, offering more for patrons. So if you like Mountain Murders, can't get enough, want some extra content, ripping through those true crime episodes while you're working, while you're exercising, we have got what the doctor ordered. Sign up at Patreon. Yes, you, there's many levels for any budget, and we appreciate all our patrons and all our listeners. We sure do. Well, Dylan, there are two sides to every story, and then there's the truth. Oh, that you know, that saying holds true, I think. You know, I've been in some situations, and I've just told myself that, because you can't get, you always get people's perspective or their perception of the truth. We're probably not going to set the record straight, but in our storytelling, I hope our listeners can decide what they think the truth is in this situation well we got some really smart listeners so i think they might figure it out this is a very unusual case oh my god i'm getting excited but it is exciting okay there's a lot of mystery surrounding the story let's get into it born mamie morrison in kentucky on september 12th of 1900 to george a morrison and an unknown mother who died when mamie was just three years old so her name's mamie mamie okay so mamie grows up essentially orphaned no mother and eventually she's gonna get married in 1920 in bradfordville kentucky to a man named jack thurman and in 1924 the young couple moves to logan county west virginia where Jack is hired as a patrolman with the local police department. That was a prestigious job back then, I'm sure. Jack and Mamie rented a small two-bedroom apartment over a garage located in the backyard of Harry and Louise Robertson's home. The Robertsons had two children, a daughter who was about 14 and a son who was eight years old, and their house was only a few feet from the garage. Oh, so very tight, close proximity there huh logan is located in the southwest corner of west virginia at the time mamie and jack moved to logan it was not what you'd call a peaceful area oh is it damn everybody running around shooting guns up in there well it was just a year after a 
coal strike. There was a year-long coal strike, and workers were restless, the economy was strained, and this town was known to be rowdy at times, and that's putting it likely because at one point the coal strike burst out basically into a full-on war between the corporation and the workers. Yes, yeah, I think many people don't realize nowadays, you know, when we see pe- people going strike now, and I support the right to strike and workers' rights and all that. But back then, it was a whole different ball game because you'd have the workers form the line, and if scabs or people try to come across to work, you know, hired by the company to work their jobs, they'd beat the shit out of them. And then you got the company would send in thugs with baton, you know, sticks and such. To, you know, just literally beat the hell out of everybody's I mean, it was just all-out war sometimes. Well, employees lived in company housing. Yeah. You bought your items from the company store. So if you found yourself on the other side of that picket line, you could be homeless. You could essentially be, like, outlawed from town. Yeah, it's a modern-day sharecropping, basically, when it was when you're indebted to the company store. You know, you just can't get out from under it. Jack's position was considered that of a lowly civil servant, but it did put him and Mamie in the mix with the town's wealthy elite, coal barons, bankers, and those with political connections. The labor strike had left a black mark on the early part of the decade, but by the time Mamie and Jack were settling into Logan, the Roaring Twenties had made their way into the small mountain town. Now that's the time period I'd like to go live during. Is the Roaring Twenties. You think so? Oh, yeah. Everybody's them drinking, smoking cigarettes, having fun, dancing, going down to the speakeasy, so seeing all those great shows. So you see yourself as like a Nucky Thompson type, like chilling in the Atlantic boardwalk? Oh, yeah. I'd totally be down there kicking it. Interesting. Yeah, don't you think so? <laughs> Atlantic City and all? I don't know about Atlantic little City. little pinstripe suit, some wingtips? Looks like it might have smelled a little bit. Logan was a boomtown. It was the center for trade and commerce in the area, and it became a swinging place during the 20s. Music, parties, dance in the era of the flapper. Jazz music, speakeasies, and it was fueled by home-brewed liquor all around town. Now, is a flapper like an STD you could have called back then? No? (laughs) Why do you do this? It's a dress. Why do you do this? I don't know. Just sit there and be pretty, Dylan. Okay. Okay. Their landlord, Harry Robertson, worked for the National Bank of Logan and served as treasurer of the Logan Public Library. So he had clout in town. And he actually was responsible for helping Jack land the job with the police department. Okay. So, I mean, I think even today that local police are probably rubbing elbows with these same types of people, right? Probably. Jack worked nights, the graveyard shift, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and he was under the impression that his wife, Mamie, didn't venture out much after dark. He later would say he assumed his wife was home alone while he was working. But little did he know, Mamie was leading a double life. Oh, no. What was Mamie doing at night? Whiskey, gin... Probably doing the Charleston. Oh, gosh, I hope that's all she is doing. By day, 31-year-old Mamie was known as a good wife, intelligent. She was active in the community and a faithful church worker at the Nybert Memorial Church. 
But by night, Mamie frequented the clubs and speakeasies where she was known for her popularity and friendly disposition. She was a party girl. She was shaking those tail feathers, wasn't she? Mrs. Thurman was also allegedly having an ongoing relationship with Harry Robertson and more than a dozen other powerful men in the county. Whoa. It is alleged that Mamie kept a little black book with the names of those individuals. That's never good. Since moving to Robertson's apartment, Harry had helped Jack secure the job at the police department, as I mentioned. It was around... 1930 or so that Harry and Mamie began having a sexual relationship. Often their evening trysts would take them to a secret social club, which was located in the top of the Holland building in downtown Logan. And from what I gather, it was called the key club, but it was like super secret. You know, you got to know the password. Oh, so it's like a big guy's slides the little slide in the door open. You got to know the password. Yeah, it was definitely like that. And this was a club where, I mean, it was like the elites who hung out in town. This okay. was not a club for just anybody. This was a club for the coal barons and the wealthy, the, the doctors, the lawyers, the big to-dos in town. And it was there that Robertson and Mamie rubbed elbows with other socialites and members of society. On other occasions, they would be secretly driven to isolated lovers' lanes around the countryside. Okay, that's kind of weird. And here's the thing. Robertson never drove. He had a hired man named Clarence Stevenson who drove him around acting as Harry's chauffeur. Okay. Stevenson was a black man who had arrived from Tennessee in 1924 He worked at the Island Creek Coal Company for a piece, but then he befriended Robertson. And Harry Robertson was an avid hunter. It was hunting that bonded these two men. Robertson would often take Stevenson on hunting trips, and Stevenson's primary job for Robertson was to tend to his hunting dogs. Okay. Stevenson also lived in the attic of Robertson's home, and he was described as Robertson's friend, handyman, and servant, though the details of his job description seem limited to mostly helping with the dogs and driving the car. Well, that sounds like a full-time job. And it was said over the course of the years that Stevenson was employed by Robertson that he kind of would on and off live in the attic space. So it wasn't like he stayed there for some years. I mean, he would live there for a year, move out for some months, move back. I mean, he was kind of back and forth over the course of the years. The affair lasted for about two years before Robertson's wife, Louise, discovered the romance. This is not going to go good, I'm going to assume. And though Louise didn't leave Harry, nor did she file for divorce, obviously she was displeased. And she did plead with her husband to end this relationship with Mamie. Well, yeah, I mean, I think anybody would, you know, even if you don't, I mean, it just hurts when someone's cheating on you like that. I mean, it just hurts you. And this is a woman that you see every day. She's living in the apartment above your garage. Yeah. Only a few feet away. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not going to work at all. So how did Louise handle the situation? Well, she eventually just stopped acknowledging Jack and Mamie altogether. Stopped speaking to them, pretended she didn't know them, she didn't see them. Just totally ignored 
their presence. Well, that's going to make for an awkward, awkward atmosphere, you know? This brings us to June 21st, 1932. Mamie and Harry had planned another romantic outing together. However, Robertson canceled the date. Stevenson, his caretaker, his his dog guy, right, was often the go-between delivering these messages between Mamie and Harry. Oh, okay. So later, Clarence Stevenson would admit that he was also having a sexual relationship with Mamie at this time. What the hell, Mamie? Mamie had given Robertson a list, including the names of 16 other men in town with whom she'd also been carrying on affairs. And this didn't sit well with Robertson. Harry pulled Clarence aside and asked him to keep an eye on Mamie. So after Mamie departs her residence on the 21st, Stevenson goes to Jones's boarding house, which was a popular spot where Robertson and Mamie would meet up. You know, meet up. Yeah, I bet you every single one of them guys in town done caught a flapper from her. But she wasn't there. And Harry then told Stevenson to keep a watch around the social club for Mamie and report back to Robertson if she was there. Robertson, along with his son, went to a place called the Smokehouse, where they were going to listen to a boxing match on the radio. According to Stevenson, he returned to the Robertson home where he fell asleep, and he didn't have any success in tracking down Mamie on that particular evening. No, she probably took one of her dudes out for a ride. So on this Tuesday, June 21st, 1932, Mamie Thurman was last seen at Logan's store in West Virginia by several witnesses. Now, her husband Jack attempted to telephone his wife several times throughout his evening shift, but was unable to reach her, and this worried him. It was not until the following day, June 22nd, about 2 p.m., near the public road on top of Trace Mountain, that Mamie Thurman's body was located by a berry picker. Oh, wow. Yeah, this guy... Got more than he bargained for, didn't he? Garland Davis, he's out picking some berries. He decides to take this shortcut kind of through like a little ditch to get to these berries. Finds Mamie. She had two bullet wounds through her head, apparently produced by a 38 caliber weapon, the throat cut, and her neck broken. One bullet entered behind the left ear and kind of went upward and emerged about an inch and a half above her right ear. Ooh, wow. The other entered on the left side of the forehead and exited out the back of the head. So she's shot in the head twice, throat cut, and her neck broken? There were powder burns all over her face, and she had a wound at the rear of the left ear, like a really big wound. And according to medical reports, Mamie's death resulted instantly from the gunshot wounds before her throat was cut. You know, I've always wondered how they can tell that. Is it the amount of blood that comes out of the wound or something? That's interesting. Garland Davis, again, he's the berry picker. He finds the hat of Mamie um, lying about 50 feet from her body. Um, Obviously, it's a woman's hat, so he's assuming it belongs to her. There's a hole in it that indicated she'd been wearing it when she was hit. It had a bullet hole in it. One shoe um, and her pocketbook, which only had about maybe 8 or $10, and a few other items were located about 6 to 8 feet away from the body. She had two diamond rings and a gold wristwatch. 
Um, and they were found on her body. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's easy to conclude that somebody wanted to shut her up. But there also seemed to be a lot of violence in, in that murder. They didn't just shoot her. They didn't just cut her throat or break her neck. They did all that. So there's a lot of pent-up rage of some type, seems to be. Police arrive and begin their investigation, and they believe that Mamie was murdered elsewhere and dumped in this rural location. And due to the nature of the crime, investigators don't believe robbery is a motive. Again, she's got these two diamond rings, a gold wristwatch. She's got somewhere between 8 to $10 in her pocketbook, which at that time was a fairly significant amount of money. Yeah, yeah. It'd probably be like finding $50 or $100 today. Well, yeah, if you've just killed this person and robbery is your motive, you're going to take all that stuff. It don't matter if they have $1, you're probably going to take it. During the investigation, rumors about the affair come to light, and officers arrest Clarence Stevenson and Harry Robertson. Officers learn that Stevenson had at his disposal a Ford sedan automobile owned and maintained by Harry Robertson, which they used in transporting their dogs with them to and from hunting grounds. They had equipped the vehicle for the purpose of removing a cushion from the rear seat and placing a piece of six by eight foot like tarp over the back of the front seat and the rear part of the car. They had curtains made of canvas that were also hung from the doors. So they're ready to throw them dogs in there and head through the woods, sounds like. Upon at least three of their hunting excursions in the past few months, Stevenson, at the insistence of Robertson, had driven Mrs. Thurman in the Ford car from Logan, West Virginia, to points in the country where she would meet Robertson for immoral purposes, <laughs> a.k.a. fucking. Oh, my God. Immoral purposes. They yeah. must have been doing more than just fucking. So it sounds like this car is equipped to transport these vehicles. It's also set up where it's got these curtains, almost like privacy curtains. You can lay the seats down, take yeah. the seats out, right? So they've got like this shagging wagon. <laughs> okay. But also, if we're talking about murder suspects. It's also a hearse. Yeah. Yeah. So between 6 and 7 p.m. on the day before the body was found, which would have been the evening she was last seen, June 21st, Clarence Stevenson was seen talking with Mamie near the garage. A short while later, she left her home accompanied by Maddie Bell, who was a black woman who had delivered some laundry to her. The two women went directly to the Piggly Wiggly store, and that's where Mamie obtained $1.50 to pay Mrs. Bell for her services. Okay, she got changed so she could pay her what she owed her. A few minutes later, Mamie went to the drugstore where she purchased a few odds and ends. She was at the store for about 20 minutes. She was later seen about dark walking in the direction of the home of Finette Jones, and Jones owned the boarding house. She's probably getting some damn Epsom salt to soak that thing in. Jones's boarding house. She was observed entering and leaving Finette Jones's home, and she was last seen about 9 o'clock walking alone near a theater in Logan. Okay, so she's been seen all around town. So there are witnesses who placed her at the pharmacy that have placed her leaving Finette Jones's house and then walking near the theater. So yeah, she's been out in town. Multiple people have seen her out running errands and taking care of business. Okay. Visiting friends, that kind of thing. Clarence Stevenson was seen on the streets of Logan 
driving the Ford between 8.30 and 9 o'clock. Because remember, Harry Robertson had sent him out, go spy on Mamie. Yeah, so Robertson shouldn't even be worried about her because she has a lot of boyfriends, it sounds like. Stevenson was again seen around 11 p.m. He was sitting on the steps of the Guyon Valley Bank. And according to a witness, he was driving the Ford on the streets of Logan around 12.30 a.m., a car answering the description of the Ford passed a man named Roy Hall, Frank Gibson, and two other men about 5.40 a.m. while they were returning together from work, walking along the road leading from Trace Mountain into Logan. Okay. And they saw this car. They said it was traveling really fast, and it was speeding in the direction of Logan, and it was driven by a black man. And... Hall remarked to his friend Gibson as it passed that, you know, look look out, Frank, that man just about hit you. And then a few minutes later, Clarence, driving the Ford in the same direction, was recognized by another witness who knew him pretty well. And that was about 6 o'clock a.m. Other witnesses saw him driving into Logan from the direction of Trace Mountain. So we've got multiple people who are placing him in this car in the area where they found a body. Kind of speeding around or driving in a manner that makes you stick out. Some other witnesses would see him later that morning um, cleaning out the car from the garage, inspecting it, and just meticulously cleaning it. And on the same day, he removed the tarp and the canvas curtains from the vehicle. A few hours after the body was found, he and Robertson were arrested and, you know, after being implicated in this murder, and the car was taken into custody by the police department. Several witnesses who examined it testified that they found blood on the back of the front seat. To the right, it soaked through the tarp and the upholstering and into the batting of the seats. Well, yeah, but they did hunt out of that vehicle. They also found under the rubber floor mat a deposit of blood. They found some on the front seat. They found it the back seat. I mean, it just seems like it was all over the place. And there was some that had actually like formed a clot near the edge of the floor mat because there was like so much. Oh, wow. That sounds like something actively bleeding in the truck in inside the vehicle. And when they did a search of Robertson's house, the tarp was discovered in a coal bin in the basement and a piece of canvas used for side curtains was found in the garage between a box and the wall. Both were blood-stained. A shirt belonging to Clarence Stevenson with blood on the right sleeve was also found in his attic room. Oh my gosh. They did a chemical analysis of the blood on all the articles, and it did prove to be human blood. Hairs on the dress worn by Mamie at the time of her death corresponded with dog hairs that were also found on the tarp. Yeah, and as far as I know, they did do back in, this is what, 1920s, 30s, right? Yes. They did hair analysis, but it didn't go any further than a visual analysis. Like I'm just literally holding up a hair next to a hair and saying they look the same. And and I think to this day, that is, besides the DNA aspect of as far as the actual analysis of the hair, it's kind of like looked upon as kind of like junk science, if you will, and forensics. 
new to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. Clarence Stevenson was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. He died of stomach cancer on April 24, 1942, and by all known accounts, he maintained his innocence. Oh, well. From the moment he was arrested until the day he died. Well, I mean, that's, unless they're planning stuff, right? That's a lot of, a lot of stuff found that sounds like they have the right man, right? The murder of Mamie Thurman was known in Logan for years to come, and many took the notion that Clarence Stevenson was the murderer with a grain of salt. His supporters included the local NAACP who believed he was wrongfully accused of Mamie's murder. Robertson's charges were dropped after Stevenson became the prime suspect. And based on the facts, many believe Stevenson was railroaded or willingly fell on the sword of justice to protect the Robertsons, his employer. Well, I think that's possible. I mean, I, I, that's awfully loyal. I mean, that goes seems to go beyond just being good friends or, you know, someone who who you've worked for to willingly, you know, follow on that. But he was they were everybody was connected to her. I mean, she sounds like she may have had a sex addiction, right? I mean, that's a lot of people, and the fact that she had this book with all these powerful people's name in it—that's never a good thing. That's the kind of thing that gets you killed. There's a lot of theories that have surfaced over the years, so let's talk about a few of those. One theory is that Jack Thurman did know of Mamie's activities and could have been responsible for her murder. Well, I think that's possible. Her husband, maybe he's angry and he's a police officer, so he could definitely steer the conversation elsewhere. Well, definitely, especially if you have... A black gentleman back then who's part of this. It's not that hard to get everyone out, you know, looking at him. He was connected to her as well. So that makes it even easier. So, okay, the husband possibly. Another Um, scenario is that Mamie had a botched abortion and that the bullets were to cover up the illegal procedure which had gone horribly wrong. And that Stevenson may have tried to get rid of the body for the doctor. Oh, well... I mean, that could happen as well. But, I mean, cutting her throat and shooting her in the damn head, how the hell does that get rid of evidence of a bad procedure? Some others believe it could have been one of the 12 to 16 men who were reportedly Mamie's lovers. And some say it could have been a jealous wife. Okay. Well, it could be any of that. There's also some discussion about Mamie, and and at the time... Um, during the 20s, not having a problem with, you know, sleeping with black men and that she was known to have had affairs with several black men in town and that the KKK could have been responsible for her murder. Okay, but I I, I don't know why, um, was it Stevenson? I don't know why he would not say that, right? I don't know why he would kind of cover that up. That'd be weird. Mamie's story 
is alive and well. I mean, still today, local residents have dubbed Mamie the vixen of Stratton Street, and many claim to have seen the ghost of Mamie Thurman and hear her screams in the area where her body was found on 22 Mountain Road, which I guess it's like State Road 22. Oh, yeah. Mamie's death certificate filed at the courthouse stated she was buried in Logan Memorial Park, which is in McConnell, West Virginia. Other records show that she was transported to Bradfordsville, Kentucky, but it remains a mystery where she was actually buried. Well, I wonder if there's a reason for that. Her relatives have no way of knowing where she was laid to rest. Well, that's not right. There's no physical location. And there's these conflicting accounts of where she was buried. But when they've tried to investigate, they can't actually find a grave. Well, damn, why? I wonder. That's weird. It is very strange. Yeah. Well, I don't... It's very strange. I mean, she um, she put herself... Well, I'm not, I'm not saying she put herself... I'm just saying she, she messed with all these people, and it's just inevitable that something was going to happen, I think. But it's, it sounds like there's a, a lot of violence done to her. So I think that might... Well, you can't necessarily outrule a wife or just a woman because women can be violent and cruel as well. But it just seems like there's a lot of strength and violence in what was done to her body or done to her to cause her to die. I believe that Mamie Thurman was killed by Stevenson and Robertson. I think they conspired and worked together. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the most likely, likely thing. And for whatever reason... Probably because Stevenson was black, Robertson was a well-to-do white man, Robertson walked. But I absolutely believe that he played a part in this and that it was likely out of jealousy because she had given him this list and said, oh yeah, by the way, I'm fucking these other guys too. All these other guys, you know, all the other well-to-do people. And yeah, I think that's the most likely scenario and for whatever reason, if it's willingly or they just kind of, you know, let the white dude go and, you know, got Stevenson on on the whole charges. But I, I think that seems the most likely as to what really happened and what you just said. Yeah, I mean, I think Robertson definitely had his role in her death. I mean, he was not the kind of man who would divorce his wife. They were religious. This is a small town. This is the 1920s. He wanted to continue this affair, but it was becoming complicated. Everyone in town knows what's going on. And then now Mamie is telling him, hey, by the way, I've been fucking all these other dudes. And so I think he just couldn't stand it. He felt like if he couldn't have her to himself, no one could have her. But yet he wasn't like man enough to step up, leave his wife and kids to be with her. Right. Because I I doubt many, I think many of those men wouldn't do that. They want to have their cake and eat it, too, especially with the community and, you know, afraid of what everybody would think. Wow. Poor Mamie. There is an 18-part piece that was written for the Logan Banner newspaper that detailed the murder and conviction of Stevenson, which is an interesting read. I did go through multiple newspaper accounts to gather information for today's story. Yeah, it's a little harder to find one on on the murders that happened all those years ago, right? A little harder for you to dig up the information? Yeah, everything I was able to find about Mamie Thurman was mostly about the paranormal activity and the hauntings. 
Really? Like her legend and the ghost story that's followed her death is the big news. Oh my gosh. There's a lot of websites out there reporting her ghost, ghostly activity, and attributing the paranormal to, you know, Mamie. Well, I think that's not with a with a story like that that's kind of become a legend in the area. I think that's kind of natural progression there for the ghost hunters to kind of claim they find stuff around this legend. Well, this has been the story of Mamie Thurman, and we always appreciate you tuning in to Mountain Murders. Rate us. Give us five stars. Hit subscribe. That helps us. Yeah, listen to this right quick. Let me tell them, Heather. I just want one of you to go and leave us a five-star review and say what you like about the podcast. Just one of you. Now I'm watching, and I'll see if it happens. Okay. Dylan's happiness depends on your five-star review. That's right. Okay. Thanks, guys.